we have a special guest today. And her name, um, well, coming away by uh, Grace Covenant Church in Chantilly, Virginia, we have Pastor Danielle Perkins. Pastor Danielle Perkins is an associate pastor of Grace Covenant Church and has been a member there for 15 years. She has a passion to send the gospel through the arts, through the arts of uh, minister to, ministering to women in prayer. Danielle's gifted in the prophetic ministry. She serves in a prophetic team on Grace, Grace Covenant Church. She is also a member of the women's leadership team and the director of intercessory prayer at Grace Covenant Church. Um, she does mighty work in the kingdom of God, I see. Um, Danielle is married to uh, Pastor Sean Perkins and has three children and a, uh, has th okay, has three children and has, as a glamma, if I say that correctly, glamma to one precious grandson. I heard a grandma, I heard a gma, I heard a mamma, but I never heard a glamma. Uh, please stand up and welcome Pastor Perkins. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, yes, thank you. I told someone earlier, yes, I'm in denial. My oldest, she's 28, had a little boy two years ago. And I told her, when, when I was growing up, grandmothers had those moo-moo dresses on, and you know, the flat shoes, and they were old. So I just, I'm still in denial. So I said, um, what, she asked me what he should call me. And I said, well, definitely not grandma. So I said, since I'm still in stilettos, let's just go glamma. It's easy for him. Glam, grand, it's the same thing. <laughs> So, but thank you so much for allowing me to, to minister you today. Um, your pastor is one of our um, favorite, favorite friends. Um, they are an awesome couple. We've known them. He and my husband worked um, at the police department together. That's how we met. And um, we've just walked life together. And it's been amazing to see the journey that God has placed them in and just to see you all. Because I can remember when you were just a prayer. So now for my eyes to see the, the budding of what that prayer is, is doing in the, in the spirit realm is amazing. So I thank them for the ability and the, the faith they have for me to share in their pulpit and you to allow me to share. Um, as the um, gentleman answered or excuse me said earlier, I flow in the prophetic ministry. And uh, Pastor Gary gave me the permission to do whatever I wanted to do. You know that's dangerous, right? <laughs> But I do want to take leeway. If that gentleman, um, the young man that would come up with the letter to God, if you would mind coming up. Yes, and his parents, please. Just feel the unction of the Lord while you were talking. Um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, it tells you about the gift of prophecy, and it's to edify, to encourage, and to comfort. And as this young man was talking, I felt a prophetic word come for you. Um, some of you might have been here um, before when I've done just prophetic ministry. That's not my assignment today. However, I did feel the mantle to prophesy over you. Are you familiar with prophecy? Um, prophecy is God speaking into the air. It's a spiritual gift. And what he does is he'll tell somebody what he wants to declare over someone's life. And so I've been laid hands on at our church as a prophetess. And so what that means is I can flow in that um, ministry and I have oversight. You always want to make sure somebody has oversight. They're not a renegade prophet in the parking lot giving words, but you want to make sure they line up with the word, and they've also been laid on by the leaders, the hands of um, the laying on the hands of leaders. So I have both and have permission of your pastor. So we want to make sure everything flows in order, which is why I'm telling you this. 
but you'll find the prophetic gift in 1 Corinthians 14. Um, so I'm just going to speak what I heard the Lord say over you. And when I speak it, I call prophecy wet cement. Have you ever seen them lay cement and then they'll stake it off and you can't step on it yet? The Lord said, out of the mouth of two to three witnesses, let my word be established. So what we're going to do is we're going to let God pour the cement for your life. And I want you to stake it off, which means you don't step on it yet. You let God confirm his word. And when he confirms it, then you can stand on it because it's firm and established. For the Lord would say, son, you will not die an early death. For that vision was not for me, says the Lord. It was to keep you from the mantle that I have already placed on you. No, this is a generational mantle, son. This is a, a message and a mantle to serve me in full capacity. For you will be in full-time ministry. I have given you a heart for people, especially broken people, says the Lord. And you will go forth and do my will. You will even be as a Navy SEAL in the spirit realm. Just when the enemy thinks he has you, he will not be able to find you, says the Lord. No, I will hide you in plain view because I have work for you to do, son. I see your heart, and although I know your struggles, no, they will not be one that deter nor hinder you. For I am allowing these struggles to come on you, son, so you will have compassion with other people's struggles. And as you struggle and as you find me, you will be able to navigate them out of dark places because you've been there yourself and you will not fear them. You will actually jump in the pit with them and navigate them out. That's how much you'll know that I have delivered and send you to help others be delivered. Son, I am sending you in a season to get in my word. I want you to begin to read from front to back and back to front, says the Lord. My word will be in you just as your blood flows through your veins, says the Lord. You will look to the left and you will look to the right and you will see me. You will see me when you wake up. You'll hear me when you go to sleep, says the Lord. And I am choosing you, son, because you have a tender heart for me. And although, yes, you have struggles, know that those struggles can't separate you from my love. I've chosen to love you, son, and nothing can separate me from you. And know there will be a season where you'll be struggling as to God, which direction should I go? For the Lord would say, be still, for I will give you the answer. It will come. You will not have to search for it, says the Lord. It will come. There's also a particular friend. You know who I'm speaking of. Be careful, says the Lord, for he has an influence that I do not want him to have in your heart. I am flipping this, says the Lord, and you will influence him, and you will pour him out of darkness into my marvelous light. And there will be a season he comes to your side and helps you in ministry, says the Lord. Rejoice, for you will live and not die, says the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you, son. Hallelujah. You're awesome. Yes. Stay close to God, okay? Yeah. Amen. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me speak into his life. Hallelujah. Our God is God. Yes, he is. I love when he interrupts the enemy's plans on our behalf. Amen. Well, I'm so glad to be sharing with you on you Sunday. And before I get started, because I can go for like 10 hours, my children will tell you, no, be, it's okay, I'm not going to do that. Somebody tell me what time I need to stop. <laughs> what time do you usually get out of church? Okay, cool, we can do that. 
Um, I'm so glad it's Youth Sunday, and I thought of a story as I saw all of the youth ministering in God's house. Can we just give them a hand and God a thank you, youth. As somebody said earlier, you know, out of all the places they could be, thank God that they're in the house. Now, I grew up old school, and youth, you might not know what that is, but you might have parents, you might, because you might have parents that grew up old school. I did not have a choice growing up whether I was going to go to church or not. I wish I did, but I didn't. And every morning, my, uh, Sunday morning, my parents would wake us up. There was something called Sunday school. Now, it was just for kids, so my parents would get us dressed and send me and my two brothers off to Sunday school, and they would meet us for church. We had better not been late for Sunday school, and we had better put all the money in the offering plate because they were going to check when they got to church. Now, when I was growing up in this old school type of environment, it was an old church, very small. The youth would sit in the back, and we never paid attention to whatever the pastor was saying. We were back there playing and, you know, passing notes and spitballs and all that good stuff. And my parents were leaders, so they had to sit up front. And my mom had this way about her. My mom wasn't one of those, you know, wait till your father get home, you're going to get in trouble. My mother was one that would beat your tail and say, wait till your father get home because you're going to get it again. So we didn't play with mama. So mama would sit up front, and of course we would be back acting up in the back, and she would just turn around and lift one eyebrow. My brothers and I would just begin to cry. Of course, now my friends are looking at us like we're crazy, like what is wrong with you? And we were like, my mama going to beat me when we leave this place. Because we were supposed to represent Christ. Little did I know that later on God would call me into ministry. That was not part of my script. I was on track to be a prosecuting attorney, didn't even want to, to minister, didn't even think about ministering, and God started to stir something in my spirit. And as I got into church, people would hear me speak and say, well, could you come speak here? And you, can you come speak? Sure. And the whole time I'm speaking out, I'm working in law school, or for towards law school. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says, through my husband, you're not going to law school. You're going into full-time ministry. Now, I wish I could tell you I was happy about what he said. Part of me knew he was right, but the other part was still struggling, like this young man said. My flesh did not want to do that. My spirit knew this is God. My flesh said, mm -mm, we have other plans. Have you ever been there? Good, I'm not by myself. So what I had to do was allow God to push me into what he wanted me to do. Instead of fighting and going back and forth and tug of warring, because guess what? God always wins. If you didn't know, let me let you know. God always wins. So what I tell my children is the only choice you get is how big the knot is going to be on your head. So which half do you want? Do you want God's staff or do you want his rod? Remember David said it in Psalms 23, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So God's staff is for direction, his rod is for correction, and you get to choose how you learn. Now, unfortunately, I wish I could tell you I chose his staff most of my life. I did not. I, cho I chose the rod side of God. So if you could see in the spirit all the spiritual knots upside my head, you would see how much I tugged and warred with God, only for him to win. Now I can't imagine doing anything different. But I thank God that he never left me. Even when I was forsaking him, he never forsook me. He knew the call for my life, and so as I'm standing here today, I'm grateful that he never turned. No matter what was going on in my life, he never turned from me. Somebody needs to hear that today. 
you do not have to walk in condemnation, you walk in conviction. There is therefore no condemnation for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So as I was listening to the youth and just excited about seeing them in the house, because that's where it begun for me, not saying youth that you're going to be called to ministry, but you need to be ready for whatever God calls you to do. Because the real ministry is out there. As this young man said, he wants to be a Navy SEAL. Guess what God will probably do? Allow him to be a Navy SEAL. Now he's a, a true minister, and the vehicle is just being a Navy SEAL. So he's going to be called to reach everybody in his sphere of influence. Each one of you have a ministry assignment. The Bible says we're all ministers. So we are all called wherever we are to advance the kingdom where we stand. Mine just happens to be in church. I thought it was going to be in the courtroom. God had a better idea. But as I was looking at the youth, I thought about a cute story about a young pastor. This was his first preaching engagement. And it, he was sent to an older church. So he gets there, he flies in and gets there real early, and he's nervous because he's never preached before. And this is an older congregation, so he's thinking, what do I and my youth have to say to these older people that know the faith? But he said, God, I'm going in faith. I'm just going to go and say what you want me to say. So he gets there early, and they said, oh, pastor, we're so glad you're here. We pray before service, so why don't you join our prayer service? He said, absolutely, I need all the prayer I can get. So he walks into the prayer circle, and of course, it's all older deacons and older people praying. And so he's standing there not quite knowing what to say. Deacon Farley begins to pray. Now, Deacon Farley has been there since the church has been built. Older man, loves the Lord. He's there from sunup to sundown. So they're all praying, and they said, well, we're going to pray for the service. So they all begin to pray, and they're going around the circle, similar to what we did this morning. Only Deacon Farley is not praying for the service. This is what Deacon Farley's prayer sounds like. Oh, Lord, I'm praying for Charles. You know Charles, Lord. The man lived down the street. You make a left on the highway, and then you take the gravel road, and he lived at the corner house. It's gray. That Charles, Lord, I'm praying for him. Lord, he's getting ready to leave his family, and you know that that's not right, Lord. He needs to stay with his family. You have ordained marriage, Lord. Please touch Charlie. So the, the young man's looking at him like, okay. So then they're hopping and praying again. The deacon starts to pray again. Oh, Lord, you know Charlie. You know he lived down the street. Make a right off the main road, and you take a left at the dirt road and the, the corner house, the gray one, Lord. That Charlie. Lord, help him. His children can't afford for him to leave that house. He needs to be there with his children, Lord. Help Charlie. He stops praying, and then it goes on and on again. And here come Deacon Charlie again, or Deacon praying again, Deacon Farley. Oh, Lord. So the young man opens his eye like, I know this man ain't getting ready to play for Charlie again. He said, oh, Lord, I'm just seeking you for Charlie. You know Charlie. The one that lived down the street, you make a right off the highway, and then you take the left on the dirt road, Lord. The one that lived in the corner house is great. That's Charlie, Lord. Father, if you don't move, we don't know what else to do. So this young preacher is looking at this man like, okay, if we hear about Charlie one more time. So they end the prayer service. He preaches, and he's just happy because the Lord touched him to be able to communicate the gospel to older people, young people. I hope you hear me. There's not a time that somebody can learn from you. So in the midst of him doing his assignment in faith, God ministered to the older folk. They were encouraged and charged, 
And the, man, the young preacher was just so happy. Lord, I did my assignment. They were charged. They're ready to go, Lord. So he gets back in his car on the way to the airport, and he's driving, and he sees a young man with a suitcase. And so the Lord says, make a U-turn and pick him up. He's like, Lord, I don't know that man, and I don't know where I am. What, what am I going to do with this man? The Lord said, just turn around. So he turns around, and he rolls down his window. He says, young man, I noticed you have a suitcase. Are you going somewhere? He said, yeah, I'm trying to make it to the airport. He said, okay, well, I'm on my way to the airport, too. Just hop in. So the young man hops in the car. So the pastor said, so you going on a trip? He said, yeah, you could say that. He said, well, my name is so-and-so. What's yours? He goes, well, my name is Charlie. So he said, Charlie, do you have a family? He said, yeah, I have a family. He said, oh, okay, you thinking about leaving that family? And the young man looked at him like, how do you know that? He said, just, just thought, the Lord told me. He said, Charlie, if I could take you home, would you stop and listen to me? Because I think the Lord has a word for you. He goes, take me home? He said, yeah, but I'm not gonna, you're not going to tell me where you live. The Lord is going to tell me how to get to your house. And you'll know that it's the Lord speaking to me. Is that a deal? Char the man said, look, if, Charlie said, look, if you can get me home without me telling you where I live, man, I'll listen to you all day. So the pastor turns the car around, and he remembers what the old deacon said. Go down the road on the main highway, make a right, go to the gravel road, make a left. He lives in a silver house right on the corner. So that's what the young man did. He got in his car, went down the highway, made a right, found the gravel road, made a left, and stopped right in front of Charlie's house. Charlie said, what is God saying? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So young people, you might hear these old people in here saying a whole lot over and over and over and over again. Keep it in your pocket because God is hooking you up early. Amen? You have a gift to minister and God is going to allow you to do that as you're in the house and as you're trained under these older, um, I didn't say old, I said older, Amen. saints, hallelujah. They are going to help you walk the road so you have, you were equipped to do all that God has called you to do because there's a lot of Charlies out there that need to hear your voice. Amen? Amen. So today my assignment is 2 Peter 1, chapter 1 through 11. I know you have your Bible, so if you could turn there for me. Because we don't leave the house without our weapon. Amen. Amen. I got a big Bible. I call that my sword. And then I got my little uh, Bible that goes in my purse. That's my pocket knife. <laughs> but we always need to have the word with the Second Peter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is Push for Growth. Second Peter 1, verses 1 through 11. Our focus is going to be more on verses 6 through 8 but I'm going to read 1 through 11 for just clarity and um, the fulfillment of what God is saying. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11, growth in Christian virtue. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory 
and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious um, and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Father, add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word. We thank you for transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's three points I'd like to, to uh, bring out in this passage. The first one is God's care, his care for us. The second one is our character, and the third one is his choosing and calling. Now let's look at God's care first. The scripture reminds us that his divine power, well there in the text, God, me, and theos. That word there is a, the trinity. It's the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's saying the Trinity has given you divine power. Now that divine power is the dunamis power. That is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Look at your neighbor said, that lives in me. Look at your other neighbor said, so where is it? We can ready to tell you. This divine power you inherited as soon as you received Christ as Savior, that power moved in. So you're already connected to the heavenlies. There's not a major button we have to push or a switch that we have to flip to get you to operate in the power of God. It's in you. Some of the older homes you go in and you can actually hear the electricity in the wall. That's what people should hear when they're next to you. A silent hum that I'm walking in the power of God, which means anything that God asks you to do, he's empowering you to do it. Now, in the Old Testament, it was very different because you'll notice the spirit would visit. Ezekiel said, the spirit lifted me up on my feet. The spirit was in the garden. You look at all these visitations of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, he said, I'm going to inhabit them, which means he's moved in. So from the Old Testament, we went from visitation to the New Testament habitation. So you host the very presence of God in you. The question is, what kind of house have you provided for God? Is it a shack or is it a mansion? You get to choose. Because he says, I have chosen to make my dwelling place in you. That means when you go to church, he's there. 
When you go to work, he's there. When you go home, he's there. If you choose to go to the club, he's there. If you choose to get on the computer and look at pornography, he's there. If you decide to do drugs, he's there. There's not one place you can go because of his habitation that he's not there. He said in scripture, make your bed in hell and I will be there. Why? Because he has chosen to dwell with us. Now, and that's why you see in the scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because why? He lives with you. He's there continually. So we have divine power to do what God has called us to do. So what is that divine power? He says, I've granted you everything. Say everything. Everything, everything doesn't mean some things, little things. It means everything. He says, I've granted you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You know what that means? No lack. The praise team sang it this morning. Fill me up, Lord, to the overflow. And when you say overflow, that means there's no room for anything else. So what the Holy Spirit done is he's filled us to the overflow. And in filling us to the overflow, there should be no room for anything else. Now he says, I've given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. But guess what? It's through the knowledge of who? Christ. It's through the knowledge of Christ who has called you by his own goodness and his own glory. So what does that mean? Most of you are used to ATM machines. We have a card that we, we get and it's connected to our account and it, we have a PIN number. So when we go to the bank, we put our card in and then we have to put our PIN number in and then we can access what is ours. I say what is ours because when my kids were smaller and I said, well, I don't have any money, they said, well, just go to the machine. I said, I wish it was that easy. But you must have something in there to be able to access and pull out of there. So what the scripture is saying is you have a spiritual ATM machine. Now the card that God gives you is salvation. The pin number is Jesus. So when you have a need, you go to heaven and you access what you need. What happens in the natural, because we have to walk by faith to receive this, is we allow the enemy to trick us to say, because we don't see it, it's not there. Well, I don't have all the money that's in my account laying at my house so I can see it. But I know that it's in there because I'll go to the bank, put my ATM card in, in my access code, and it releases what's mine. Well, that's a good picture of what we need to do spiritually. God says, I've given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. And it's through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So everything you have need of, you must go through Jesus to get it. Do you see the dilemma? Because sometimes we try to go to Jesus to get something that is not ours. That's called covetousness. We have to go to Jesus and get it through him, which means we need to know him so that we can access the right things. God does not want us to access rejection or abandonment or bitterness, none of that comes through Jesus Christ. So when we're talking and living life, we have to make sure what we're accessing is in our account. And what's in our account is what our Father put in there. So when we get with God and we learn of him, we know what we can ask of him. So his care for us is that he's given us everything we need. We need the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to access it, and the only way we can do that is get to know our Father, get to know his will and his ways. And in the midst of that, he'll start dealing with our character. Now, we've seen a lot of gifts this morning, amazing gifts. 
Do you realize when you got saved, God gave you a gift to minister to the kingdom with? Every last one of us has a gift. Remember the parable of the talents? One had five, one had three, the other had one. And the one that had the one buried it, they didn't even invest it. And remember his master said to him when he came back after a few years or, or months and said, you wicked servant, you didn't even put it in the bank that it can get interest? And the servant said, well, I knew you were a hard taskmaster. So what he was saying was, one, I really don't know you, Lord. And two, I don't have the faith to even put it in the bank. Some of us come in like that. We, we know we have a gift, but we think it's for the world. No, your gift is for the church. The world benefits from it. So each one of you have a gift that God has placed in you, and he wants you to get acquainted with it so that you can advance the kingdom through it. And it's so deep, the Lord says, the gift isn't for you. It's for others. So in our giftings, we don't get to hoard it and keep it to ourselves because it's not even for us. God has given you a gift to minister to the body, like the young man that I prophesied over. God says he has a gift of ministry. Now it's up to him whether he unwraps and uses that gift or not. God doesn't force us. Even though he's Lord, he does not lord over us. He gives us a free will to do what he's called us to do, but he's not going to make us do it. He will not lord over us. He wants to be lord, which means we willingly follow him. So we have divine power granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So the next scripture talks about our character. The Bible reminds us in 2 Peter that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. So when you got saved, you were birthed into royalty. I think about King, what is his name, Charles, Prince Charles and Prince Harry over there. And the, the Prince Charles just had another baby. His wife had the, the baby, of course. But that little boy has no clue, or that little girl, I should say, has no clue what she just stepped into. She has no idea of who she is. All she knows is she's a baby and she wants her mama. But when she gets older, there is stuff already laid up for her. She's not going to have to worry about a thing. Now, that's a good picture of what it looks like when we first get saved. We have no clue the royalty we belong to or the provisions we have. We just know we're born again and, okay, we try to figure this out. My flesh wants to go this way, the spirit's saying go this way, and this is what I look like most of my life, going nowhere. But when we get a revelation of who he is and who we are, that's when we can truly do a, a 180, as our youth ministry is called. A 180 means you turn your back to sin and you're following Christ. So it's not just the fact that you've turned your back on sin, it's that you're following Christ. And the more you follow Christ, the further away you get from that sin. That's the lifestyle that God wants us to live. It's called godly sorrow. So it doesn't mean we're not going to mess up. God is talking about the practice of sin. As we go further in scripture, you'll see. So what I'm talking about this morning is we know it's sin and we keep doing it. That's called a 360. It's God, I'm sorry, and I'm not sorry that I grieved you. I'm not sorry that this was wrong. I'm sorry I got caught because I need to say something that makes me still acceptable with people. But Lord knows when the light is off and the door closes, I'm going to be right back here. That's not godly sorrow. It's worldly sorrow. 
And what we need to do is walk in godly sorrow because the scripture says godly sorrow leads to repentance and leaves no regret. So God calls his people to walk in godly sorrow. Why is that? Because when we first get saved, we're infants, just like the baby that was just born to the prince. She's a baby. She's going to be um, going to the bathroom in her diaper. She's going to be throwing up. She's going to be doing all these stuff that infants do. So when we get saved, that's a good picture of what it looks like. We do things that what infants do spiritually. But the more we mature, the more we come out of diapers, the more we come out of baby food, we start to mature in the faith and we grow up in the faith to a mature man, as the scripture says. So I want to talk about our character because that really speaks of the mature man. So let's look at this. It says um, we have the capacity. It says all diligence in your faith. So we're supposed to supply or add these things to our faith. Now, what faith is he talking about? The faith that we had in Jesus Christ to be our savior. So as we have that faith and know we're walking a different road now from the world, now he's saying, now I want you to add this to your faith. The first thing he says, all diligence to your faith. That means a conviction of the truth of anything of belief. The conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with including idea of trust and a holy fervor, born of faith and joined with it. So all of that means you need to fear God. Many people in this world do not fear God, including his children. Because we already know that God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm there with you continually. But we do things and we think that God doesn't see it. We may talk about the pastor. You don't think God hears that? We may talk about our brother or sister. You don't think God hears that? That's why at the end it says we all are going to be judged. Now, there's two types of judgment in Scripture. There's a judgment for those who are not saved, and there's a judgment for those who are saved. Now, the judgment for those who are not saved is the fact that you are going to hell, basically. The judgment for the saved folk is that we're going to heaven, but he said you are going to give an account for everything you have said and done. Could you imagine that report? You know, my kids will come in. I didn't do that. I'm not so sure if they're telling the truth or not. But when you sit before God, he can rewind the tape. Oh, yeah, well, let's rewind this. <laughs> he can remind you where you were, who was there, and what you were wearing when you said it or did it. So I love knowing that now, not so I can just be right, so I'm not sitting before God answering, because I love him, and I want to honor and please him. But if my maturity is not in that place, I tell people, if the love that you have for God doesn't keep you from sinning, the fear of God should. Either way, you shouldn't be practicing sin. But people have gotten a watered-down God where where he's holy, yes, he is. He's grateful, yes, he is. He forgives us, yes, he does. But he's also a God of judgment. My parents would say to me, okay, I'm going to tell you one more time. When I heard that one more time, I knew something was coming after that, the rod, or children, I say the Board of Education on the seat of your understanding, that's what was getting ready to come next. So there was a tone in our parents' voice that we knew, this is the line, y'all, don't go further. Because if you go further, <laughs> it's going to be on like popcorn, as the kids say. So we want to honor God and not push him to the limit. We want to honor God in our obedience. The great news, even as David said, his rod and thy staff, they comforted David, which means God didn't yield the rod or the staff differently in that he was a taskmaster. 
God yielded as a father. And that's who God is to us. He's a father. And he doesn't abuse us. He disciplines us. There's a difference. So in our discipline, it comes different ways. Usually he'll start touching your money because that'll get your attention quick. <laughs> Not that every money issue is a God problem or discipline problem, I should say. But usually that's where he'll get our attention first. Your money gets funny. And it's amazing how it'll get our attention just like that. Father, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> we will get on our knees quick. God, something's not right. So there's different ways that God chastises us, but if we don't know our Father, we don't realize this is chastisement, and we're rebuking the devil and having the prayer after people pray and the pastor pray, and you need to ask yourself, from whence did this come? That's what Scripture says. Lord, did I bring this on myself, or is this an attack from the enemy? Or is this a test that God is putting me through? You need to know from whence it came so that you can respond properly to it. So in all your faith, add diligence. And then it says moral excellence. Now these are the things that we are going to push to grow. Pastor Gary was telling me about your push initiative and your, your, your mandate in the beginning of the year to persevere, to be unified, to stay focused, and to get the harvest. And in order to do that, and in that, God has given you an equation on how to push, basically. It's right in your acronym. So we'll talk about some of those things. But to supply moral excellence, it's a virtuous course of thought, feeling, or action. So God is calling us to have moral excellence. It's very difficult in our world to have moral excellence. Wherever we are, they have left moral excellence and they've kind of repackaged sin so it makes it look different. Most of you know, I think I told you last time, I love M&Ms, and don't get me any because I have to stay away from them. But anyway, I love M&Ms. And I was in the store, and I got so excited because they have them in a new box, and the box is about this big. So I was so excited. So I grabbed that box up and bought it, and I got in the car. I opened that box. It was the same package, the small package, but it was in a nicer, bigger box. I was so mad. I was like, I need to turn these M&Ms in. But my flesh said, no, just go ahead and eat them. You just know next time. <laughs> Don't fall for the okie doke. But I thought that's exactly what the world is doing. They're putting sin in a bigger and prettier box, and they're calling it something else. But sin is sin. Gender fluidity, I believe they call it. Um, transgender. Um, Same-sex marriage, union, whatever they're called, civil marriage. Wait, 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 flag on the play. The same-sex marriage, that God talks about that in Romans chapter 1. And there's not even gray area. I mean, it's so plain, Stevie Wonder could see it. That's how plain God has made it. But now we're coming up with these new words to define old sin. And if we're not careful, we'll start flowing with that. But the Bible says, don't be, don't be deceived by every wind of doctrine. Call it, it, call it what it is. And people get mad when you call it what it is because they've taken all this time to repackage it so it looks good. You know, you have married people, people now, they call it swinging. The Bible calls that adultery. Right. Don't get it twisted. Right. So we need to call sin what God calls sin. And I don't care how you package it and make it look, sin is sin. So we need to go back to moral excellence. And that moral excellence, again, is the virtuous course. God has already set a course of what moral excellence looks like. 
we are not to redefine it. We don't have the authority to redefine it. God has already defined moral excellence. We need to get acquainted with it and walk in it. And this word here means your thought, your actions, and your words. You know, the Bible says if a man looks on a woman to a lust, he's already committed adultery. Ouch. That's God's moral excellence. That's the course he set. So we have to say what God says is sin. We have to say what moral excellence, of what God has called moral excellence, and it, it's based in purity. So we want purity in the way we think, purity in what we say, purity of what comes out of us. So you got to be very careful what you put in you because what comes in you has to come out some kind of way. And so what we want to do is don't even have our thoughts be that of impurity. We want to walk in moral excellence. So we're supposed to add moral excellence to our faith. Now he's saying add knowledge. Well, what is knowledge? Well, the Greek word there means the virtuous course of thought and feeling, moral goodness, a particular moral excellence, a modesty and a purity, very similar to moral excellence. It's knowing what God says about it and then doing something with it. Knowledge is very dangerous if you just go with knowledge and you don't have the understanding. Because the Bible says knowledge puffs up. You ever talk to anybody? I know that. I know that. I know that. You tell them something else. I know that. Then why are you sitting in my office asking for my help? The dilemma is you know it, but you don't have understanding of what to do with what you know. So the power doesn't come in the knowledge. The power comes in the knowledge and understanding. So God says, add this to your faith. So when you add knowledge to your faith, you're adding a power and a purity and a moral excellence that brings you to a closer picture of what heaven looks like. Then he says, add self-control. Ouch. Just told you on my dilemma with M&Ms. Self-control is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions and his sensual appetites. Ouch. Self-control. I'm going to read that again. It's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions and especially his sensual appetites. Our flesh is flesh, period. It wants what it wants. It's the little kid in the car. And if you're not careful, that flesh will work you so bad that you let that flesh go ahead and get in the driver's seat. And I'm here to tell you, every time you let flesh drive, you're going to wreck because flesh is not authorized to drive. Galatians 5 tells us the only one that has an authorization to drive is the spirit. The Bible says, be led by the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, lust isn't always sensual or sexual. It could be lust of a shoe. Okay, that's my little, see, I'm confessing. <laughs> I love shoes. It could be a desire to have a degree. It could be a desire to have a certain position, a desire to live a certain place, a desire to drive something, simply because it makes you feel good and it does not point to the kingdom of God. So it doesn't mean those things are sin. It's the why behind what you want that tells you if it's sin or not. So God is telling us to add self-control to our faith, which means I can see it and still walk in the spirit and not get it unless God wants me to have it. And if I get it, it's his way and not my way. Have you ever pushed to get something you really wanted and then you got it and figured out you didn't need it? Whew. That's the wrong way to learn that lesson. That's the rod side of God. 
I'm so glad God said no to the first man that I thought I was going to marry. Let me tell you how good. Young woman, this is for you. I was engaged to a young man that you couldn't tell me wasn't like the king of kings on this earth. He was just my everything. I was in college. And I just knew he's it. He's the one. He asked me to marry him. We're going to get married. His family lived about two and a half hours, his extended family, away from us. His immediate family lived in my hometown. So I'm in college. We're, we're engaged. I'm excited. Life is good. And he comes to me and tells me he's breaking it off. It nearly broke me half the part. Something in breaking off, what happened? There was no, there was no issue. We weren't fighting. I, couldn't, I was like, what? What? So, yep, he broke it off and married a girl two weeks later. Come to find out, he was really engaged to another girl in the town where his extended family was, and he was just biding time because he lived in our hometown. So he broke the engagement off with me, was already engaged to the other girl, married her. My life was upside down. My parents would tell you they literally had me on suicide watch. That's how bad it was because I had wrapped everything in him instead of Christ. I was skewed, and I grew up in church. I remember from little. I don't remember anything else but being in church. The dilemma was the church wasn't in me. So you can be in church all your life and still go to hell because church needs to be in you. It's not if you're in church. Is the church in you. At that time in my life, it wasn't. And I had parents that were leaders. I knew the word. But here I am thinking life is over. But let me tell you how good God is. I went to visit my cousin that went to another church and met my husband. I wasn't even looking for a man. I had swore men off. That's it. I don't want to look at another man ever again. He comes along, and I get there on a Friday night. On a Saturday afternoon, he asked me to marry him. I said, brother, you must be crazy. I don't even know you. But see, he was walking with the Lord, and the moment he saw me, he said to the Lord, said to him, that's your wife. So instead of holding it, he was just a little gun shy and hopped on that right away. I said, brother, I don't even know you. I was too wounded to even think about a relationship. Praise God that he asked again later on, and we've been married 28 years. God is good. But in God's goodness, he'll let you see what you wanted and how good or how bad it was for you. Come to find out this same man that broke my heart broke the girl's heart that he was married to. He was only married to her a year. They ended up divorcing, and this man has 11 children from different women. Not only that, he's a drug runner. So he's been in and out of jail because he's been running drugs. Guess who God gave me? A police officer. Somebody that protects the law instead of running from it. Do you see what your flesh will want if you let it? That could have been my testimony. So where I was broken on the floor, God, I'm just, life is over. Now I'm over here, Jesus, because that could have been me. But because God said, no, that's not for you. Young people, you got to trust God. You just got to let him do what he's going to do. Because I didn't see that then. You couldn't tell me that wasn't a man for me. My dad didn't like him. My mother didn't like him. My brothers definitely didn't like him. And I'm thinking, y'all just don't understand him. Y'all are crazy. I'm the one that sees. They saw it the whole time. And I knew my parents were praying. That's the only reason I survived. Because I had praying parents that knew she's at an age where we can't tell her no, but there's a God that can. 
So parents, keep praying for your children. Here I am today, alive, preaching the gospel, married 28 years to a faithful man, and who knew after he was a police officer that he was going to be a pastor? Our God is God. So young people, listen to your elders. Even when it don't feel right, don't look right, they can see beyond what you see. That all that youth love can make you blind and dumb. It did for me. But I'm so glad I had parents praying for me. So now I get to stand, not brokenhearted, but my heart in God's hands full of what he's called us to do. So adding that self-control to your faith, that moral excellence, that way that you can master your desires. Proverbs 25 says, a man that does not have rule over his own soul is like a city with broken down walls. What does that mean? Well, remember in the cities of the Old Testament, they were usually on flat ground. So what they would do is build these large walls that you could not scale if you tried. And they would have watchmen on the wall 24 hours a day. And these watchmen would watch the city. And if they saw anything coming to endanger the city, they would sound the alarm to get the men of the city ready for battle. Well, the Bible says if you don't have those walls up, you're like a city with broken down walls, which means the enemy can come and go and you don't even know he was there. So what you want to do is have self-control because the Holy Spirit lives in you and you can master the passions that try to take you out, like those that tried to take me out, but because of God. Everybody say, but God. God. Now add perseverance. Now that's one of the mandates of your push, perseverance. So let's look at what that word is in the Greek. It's steadfastness, consistency, endurance, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved or swathed, but is deliberate and purposeful. He is loyal to the faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So what does that mean? You won't fight. The enemy is not going to sit back and have a cup of tea while y'all are advancing the gospel. So what he'll do is he'll come right in this church, have a seat on the front row, and cause havoc. You know she don't like you over there, right? He's whispering in your ear. You know you have a gift, and pastor ain't letting you preach. You know, this church is just too small for me. I don't think, I, I just don't see myself here. You know the voices that you hear that do not line up with the word of God. There's no in-between. Either it's God speaking to you or the enemy, and you get to choose who you follow. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, and another they would not follow. The Lord never said you wouldn't hear the voice. He said you wouldn't follow it. So in this perseverance, you have to war through some stuff. You have to go through the wilderness. Remember Deuteronomy 28? God said to them, okay, you have a promised land. You own it, now go possess it. What? Wait a minute, I own this, but I got to fight to get it? Mm Mm-hmm. Because there's giants and people in the land already. So you got to go. I'm not going to clear them out. Y'all are going to go and clear them out. Okay. So then Israel begins to go, but they start to get rebellious in the wilderness. So God says to them, I took you through the wilderness because I knew about this rebellion in you. So I'm getting you ready for your promised land. So what I'm going to do is allow you to go through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, I'm going to try you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to see what's in your heart. Will you follow my commands? That's what perseverance is all about. It's to get out of you what doesn't belong in the promised land. So there's a purpose for the frustration. There's a purpose for the tiredness. We, before we got our church, we were meeting in a school as well. We had to set up and break down, set up and break down. 
Now we have that church and we're back in the school and what are we doing? We're setting up, we're breaking down. But it wasn't until we got into the, the, our building that we realized all that setup and breakdown gave us a gratitude that we wouldn't have had getting into this building. Because now we recognize what we've been given. So God has a purpose for everything. There's a season for everything. So as we persevere through all of the craziness and all of the foolishness, the thing that the enemy wants to do the most is divide you. He does not want you to be unified. Now, unity is not me and my sister agreeing. Because, I mean, you know, you, her, she and I can agree and be far away from God. This is what true unification looks like. I agree with God, you agree with God. And guess what? That makes us in agreement automatically. So what happens to many churches is they come into agreement together and think they're doing something, and God is like, I'm not in that. <laughs> because you never sought him to unify with him. So each one of you have a responsibility, praise God, to get with God. God, what are you doing in this house? Okay, I'm agreeing with that, and you're going to agree with that, and guess what? Now we're unified. So it's walking in the perseverance that you have to fight. You build with one hand, and you war with the other. And it's not about you. Everybody say, it's not about me. I know the enemy is singing that in the air. What about you? What about you? Oh, God is not going to forget you. Did he forget Joseph in prison? Here Joseph is, in prison, didn't do anything wrong, and still using his gift of interpretation of dreams. He could have been bitter and angry. <laughs> I know what that dream means, but I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> he didn't do that. Little did he know he was sowing into his future because he was going to be second in command. He didn't know that at the time. Your test can be either your stepping stone or your tombstone. It's up to you. God is testing you. Will you still serve me in the midst of not having what you want? Or are we going to be spiritual children and pack up our toys and go home? I ain't going to that church no more. I don't like sister so-and-so. I don't like the way she looked at me. I don't like what she said. I don't like the word pastor preached either. He was looking at me the whole time. I know that sermon was for me. You know how the enemy talks to you when you leave here. Don't tell me I'm the only one, right? <laughs> so we need to persevere through all of that and say, God, all things work together for the good. For those that love you are called according to your purpose. So I don't care if sister so-and-so offended me, and I don't care if the pastor was looking at me during the whole sermon. I'm going to show up in this house and do what you call me to do. Because there is a calling you have on my life, and I am going to fulfill it until you come back. That's the perseverance that we all need to have. Now it also says add godliness. That's a reverence and respect, a piety towards God. Again, we as a church, a Western church, have lost the reverence of God. We, I have seen people stand up in church and curse each other out. And I'm thinking, um, do y'all realize this is the house of God? Do you not have reverence and respect for your God to at least, if you got to do it, take it out in the street? But to do it right in his house, that means you've left the reverence and respect of fearing God. God is, like I said earlier, he's a gracious God, he's a loving God, but he's also a God of judgment. He does chastise his, his children. So we want to make sure that we have the reverence and respect and the fear of God that he calls us to have. So in that, you're to add what? Godliness. Now add brotherly kindness. Isn't this a sermon all by itself? This word in the Greek is Philadelphia. It's the kind of love that's benevolent and helps each other. 
What that means is we're not just to be here and hear of a need and say, oh, well, let me pray for sister or brother so-and-so. That's such a shame. And then you walk out with no compassion. You have a brotherly love that says what affects you affects me. So I'm going to deal with this according to how God would want me to. I don't know what my assignment is is in it, but God, I know I have an assignment. Because you said there are many members of one body. So if one member is hurting, that means my body feels it. I was a dancer and I broke my baby toe. And as little as that baby toe is, it controlled everything I did. Now when I say dancer, I was a dancer in the church, dancer in the world, um, modern dance and ballet. Um, and we were on a show and I don't know how I did it, but I twisted the wrong way and broke it. That toe dictated everything I did for a couple of months. As small as that member was on my body, it told me what I could and couldn't do. When someone in the body is hurting, we need to feel it. We need to help. I did everything I could to help that toe. Went to the doctor, got that ugly shoe that I had to wear. And for those of you who know I like shoes, that was a horrible season. I don't care what you do. You can't pretty up that little ugly shoe they give you. <laughs> but I was glad for it because I couldn't. It was so painful to even think about putting my foot in a shoe. And then my youngest son... He was just attracted to the toe. I don't know why. He'd come into the room. I could be on the father's side. He would find me and step on my toe. That will preach all by itself. Where you're wounded, the enemy wants to come and hurt you further. And so what I found myself doing is when my son would come in the room, I would kind of move away from him be like, you stay over there, and I'm going to stay over here. Sometimes we do that in spiritual wounding. You sit on that side of the church, and I'm going to sit on this side. I'm not going to look at you. You don't look at me. But I had to let my son come around me and say, now watch my toe. You know it's broke. And he would chuckle because he knew, what is it that I keep hitting your toe? But the enemy wants to wound you and hurt you further of where you're already wounded. And most of the time your wounding is where your gifting and and your ministry is. He's trying to take your ministry from you. John 10.10 says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you have life and have it in abundance. Satan's plot never changes. God's plan never changes. You get to decide which one you walk in. So in it, we need to be in the plan of God and love each other the way God has called us to love. And he's given us us the perfect example. He chooses to love, and love is not a feeling. I don't care what the world tells you. They fell in love. Well, guess what? When you get up, you're usually not in love anymore. Only we got a dilemma because we're married, we got a dog, we have a house, we have kids, and now you're talking about we got to separate? That's because they fell in love, and then they eventually got up and realized, this isn't what I want. You don't fall in love. The Bible tells you love is a choice. God chose to love us while we were yet sinners, which means we weren't even cleaned up. He said, I chose to love you. So love is a choice. So as we choose to love each other the way God calls us to love one another, we'll see the fulfillment and the anointing and the power that God wants on the church. 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says, love never fails. Don't you want to do something that never fails? So the enemy tricks us to think, oh, love ain't happening. Look, you were nice to that person and nothing happened. They're still not talking to you, still not looking at you. I heard a phenomenal story on, um, what was it, Focus on the Family. This black family had moved into a white neighborhood. They were Christian. The the man next to them, a Caucasian man, was in a wheelchair. 
So he would, they moved in and the man saw them but didn't say anything to them. So what the family decided to do was come introduce themselves. The man refused to open the door and they knew he was in there. So these two are now on the radio giving this testimony. So the, the African-American man just said, well, bump it, y'all. We don't need to you know, be connected to you. So the Lord began to minister to that man's heart and says, you need to love that man. So he would cut his grass. He would, the kids would come and get the newspaper at the bottom of the driveway and put it on his porch. They would wave at him, say hello. He would turn his head like he didn't see them. Come to find out this man in the wheelchair was a Ku Klux Klan member. That's why he hated them. And they were wondering, why doesn't this man like us? Well, they found out why. So the, after they found out he was a Ku Klux Klan member, they said, we're going to leave him alone. Now that we know the deal, he can go his way, we'll go our way. The Lord said to the man, what did you just say? He said, didn't I tell you love never fails? The same things you've been doing for him before, you're still going to do. So the man would say he would go out there mowing that man's lawn, just cussing under his breath. God, I don't see why you got me doing this. You know this man don't like me. He would just mumble. He'd still have his kids minister, and his kids are looking at him like, Dad, you know that man don't like us. Why do you keep making us go do this stuff for him? So one day, the man said to him in the wheelchair, why are you so nice to me? He said, because I love Christ. So the man looked at him. He said, what? He said, because I love Christ. And he began to minister to him. A couple months later, how about this man receives Christ as his Savior? They are the best of friends today. So they're on the radio giving this testimony. And the, the, the man in the wheelchair was talking about how every time they were nice to him, something happened in his heart, and he couldn't explain it because he wasn't saved. He just knew something was happening in his heart. And he said, so I would get more nasty to them so they would stop doing that because I didn't like what it was doing to my heart. And the more nastier I got, the more nicer they got. I couldn't understand that. What God was doing was taking that love, and it was like a wrecking ball. It was hitting the structure of hatred all around his heart. Only he couldn't explain it. All he knew, something's going on in my heart, and I can't explain it. It wasn't until he got saved that he knew it was the love of God that came and saved his heart. We are called to love one another regardless of how we're treated. We love one another because God said to do it. That's what he did for us. When we were against him, sinning against him, he still came and got us. So brotherly love were to add to our faith. And then lastly, the love, the affection, the goodwill, the benevolence, the brotherly love again, that unconditional love, agape. Some of us call it agape. It's the unconditional love, which means I can love you regardless of how you treat me. How many know you need the Holy Spirit to be able to do that? That is not something fleshly that we can do. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, who already lives in you, to do this. And lastly, his choosing. There's a natural harvest and a spiritual harvest that God wants you to know about. I believe as a church, you've gone from carrying the baby to getting ready to push, to deliver what God has for you. It's not by accident this church is called the Foundation Church. Foundations are not pretty. Go to any beautiful mansion and look at the foundation. It's the same as the other poor house down the street. It's cement, and it's not very beautiful. But it's strength. The house cannot survive without the foundation. So a lot of times we want the pretty ministry, and God said, well, well wait, you're going to have that. But we need to build a foundation that can handle the pretty ministry. Could you imagine how deep the foundations of the World Trade Center was? 
It went real deep because it had to go real high. I believe in this ministry, you are going real high, so God has to dig real deep. Walk with them. Let them pour the foundation. You'll be happy when, you're, when the building is built that you took the time to allow the foundation to be right. So it's a natural and a spiritual harvest. I tell people rotten fruit is just fruit that wasn't picked on time. Because harvest means you got to go out and get the fruit. Each one of you are called to go get the fruit. The harvest is plenty, the scripture says, but the laborers are few. And when the harvest is plenty, but there's not a lot of laborers, guess what happens to the fruit? It'll rot. There's a lot of rotten fruit out there because we failed to minister to them. We failed to tell them like that man said to, to the Ku Klux Klan member, there is a God. We've seen them at the office and walked right past them. I can't, I can't minister on the job. Now, I'm not saying open up your Bible because the man is paying you to do a job. But sometimes your life can speak so much so that you don't have to say a word. I had people tapping on my door when I was in, working in the corporate world. Can I talk to you? What was different about me? I wasn't doing the dirty jokes. I wasn't going to happy hour. They, they saw my life was different. So much so that when they had an issue, they would come to want to talk to me about it. That was God drawing them. Not because I'm so great, but because who, who lives in me is great. And he has the answer. All I have to do is tap into it. As I said earlier, the divine power has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So it doesn't matter what assignment comes my way. All I got to do is go ahead to the spiritual ATM. God, what do you want for this person? Go ahead and access it and give it to him. So everything you have need of, God has it. So it says in his choosing that, one, he wants us to practice. We have been chosen by him, called by him. Many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? God calls us to be saved. Whosoever will. This gospel isn't just for one person. It's for a lot of people. Whosoever will. Only few are chosen because only a few will receive him as Savior. So we, praise God, in this house, most of you, I assume, have received Christ as Savior. That means you're the chosen. But all of us have been called to come into the faith. So God wants us to practice, which means to rightly act and do well. So you get the choice every day to practice holiness, to practice being kind to one another, to practice loving each other. You will never stumble, it says, if you practice these things, and you will be in eternal kingdom, which means royal power, kingship, and dominion. Isn't that what God said in Genesis, to take dominion? Are you taking dominion today of where God has called you to be? You can minister to people that I'll never meet. Your pastor may never meet. Your elders and leaders may never meet. Your neighbors. I'll probably never meet them, but you do. Are you walking in the calling of what God has called you to do to minister this word? So in this, what am I saying? Keep pushing. When I had my baby, I had an epidural. An epidural for men, because some of you are looking like, oh, what? That's the medicine they put in your back so you don't feel the contractions because the contractions are very painful. So when the medicine kicks in, you no longer feel the contractions. You still have to go through the labor, but now a machine is telling you where the, when the contractions are coming, and then the nurse will tell you to push. I'm here to tell you there's a season where you're calling to push, and the Holy Spirit will tell you when. I couldn't extend or push outside of contraction because I was using energy that I would need later on. So God is giving your house a cadence in how to push.
The Holy Spirit is the one who will tell you when to push. And as a congregation, as you persevere, as you unify, as you stay focused, you will see the harvest. If there's any in here that doesn't know the Savior, that's the first push. Because we can do nothing outside of him, and there's no eternal life outside of him. So as you stand to your feet, those who have not received Christ as Savior, I'd like to say a prayer. And if this is the first time you're praying this prayer, I want you to come to the front after service. There'll be somebody to minister to you. And some of you in here, you've been in here, but you really haven't been in here. What does that mean? You come because you know it's the right thing to do. You want to be pleasing to God, but you have not fully submitted to the vision and to the fullness, the overflow that God wants you to walk in. If that's you, I want you to come up as well because we're going to pray for you. That's you, come, and we'd like to pray for you. Hallelujah. While you're coming, I'm going to pray a prayer for those who have never received Christ. If all of you can pray this prayer in unison. And again, if this is your first time praying this prayer, please come up to the front after service. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you, and I recognize I have fallen short of your glory. I have sinned against you. And I need you to be my savior. I ask you to come into my heart. Be Lord and be savior. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe he was crucified, buried, and rose for me. I receive the gift of salvation and I'm turning my life over to you. From this day forward, I am yours. I will walk in what you've commanded, and I will live with you for eternity. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those in this house that need a touch from you, that have been tired, they've been weary, they've been pushing, they've been fighting. They have been persevering. I pray strength over them right now, God. And I ask for this house that, Lord, as you finish pouring the foundation, they will get glimpses and visions of what you're getting ready to deliver in their hands. You're getting ready to call a people forth that they will disciple, that they will minister to, that they will train. We thank you for this season of push. And, Lord, we are pushing to grow not just in numbers, but in stature. We have heard what to add to our faith. So we ask that you would touch every area and allow those things from moral excellence to virtue, to knowledge, to understanding, Lord, to brotherly kindness, to love, to be evident in our lives and in maturity, Lord, where the world will see it and be thirsty for you. We thank you for this house. We thank you for the pastors. I pray a blessing over them. May the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.